Good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the pastor here at Ridgeview Church. And we are wrapping up a series that we launched on Easter uh, called Blindsided. And the idea of this series is we've been looking at common experiences and emotions that we all encounter, uh, but we don't see coming. Meaning we, we kind of go week to week and we experience some of these things, uh, but they tend to surprise us. They tend to blindside us. And once that happens, it can stall our progress. And so we've been looking at ways that God wants to come alongside us and help us with these common things. And we've been digging in the word and drawing out the principles that we can apply to our life. But if you've missed any of this series, I want to just spend the first part Uh, looking at just a review. And these, I'm just going to kind of mention briefly, just so you can see uh, what we've been talking about. And then you can always uh, catch up on messages by going to our website, ridgeviewchurch.com. And you can press on the tab messages. And you can also podcast with us if you're a podcaster. Is that a person? You're a podcaster. Um, And you can put Ridgeview Church in Fontana and you'll we should come up there. So I just want to briefly kind of summarize this so we can all be on the same page. We kicked off on Easter talking about uh, cynicism and the idea that we can face uh, just this place in life where we're we're negative, we feel like kind of life and the world is against us, and this can kind of cause us to get in a spiral. And so we talked kind of how how to move past that. The following week, we talked about uh, disconnection, that feeling of being isolated and alone. That can blindside us. We don't see it coming. Third week, we talked about pride, how when pride is at the center of our life, we tend to have a lot of problems. We talked about emptiness. We talked about burnout, just getting to the point where you're, you're just done and you, you're just kind of left there trying to pick up the pieces of life. And then last week, we talked about irrelevance, and that's the point in life where we kind of lose our influence with people, and we wonder if we can make a difference in the lives of people, if we can make a difference in the world, and that's kind of a lonely place as well. And we're going to end this series talking about uh, compromise. And I want to just define that because uh, it actually is kind of a broad uh, term. And so I I do what most people do. The first thing I do when I want to know a definition, I I Google it. Any Googlers out there? I'm just making up. Is that a word too? Googler. Yeah, we, we Google things. I Google it all the time. And so the first thing is the Google dictionary. It actually is its own kind of dictionary. And compromise is the acceptance of standards that are lower than desirable. And there's something in all of us that we have kind of standards. Now, our standards can be different from us to somebody else. So we could have standards different from our spouses, standards different than our kids, our friends, our parents. But we, we all have standards, a certain thing that we think should happen, like right from wrong. We, we all have that in us. Uh, it's somewhat subjective. But when we compromise, whatever our standard is, we kind of are below that. So there's an ideal that we have for how we think we should behave, but we tend to do our own thing. The second part of this kind of goes a little bit more specific and compromises to make a dishonorable or shameful uh, concession. So it's this thing that just brings dishonor or shame uh, onto you, and that's at the root of compromise, that feeling of shame. And I think all of us have done something in life that we regret. And so we're going to talk a lot about that, those feelings of regret, the feelings of thinking and wishing we would have done something and we didn't. And we might have done the exact opposite. And most of the time, the, the reason this blindsided us is we, we didn't even see it coming. We didn't know we had the power to do that, to do that thing or to think that thought, to speak uh, that word. 
And so I, I want you to kind of think back to your earliest compromise that you can remember. I, I want you to like go back, like old school back, like first grade, kindergarten. Can you remember like the first time where you remember like, oh, I think I've, I think I've done something wrong. Uh, I'm going to share mine. I remember the first time that I, I stole a piece of candy from a store. And um, I, you know, I've overcome it. I was six years old. And uh, I lived in England at the time. And candy in England, it, it's called sweetie. So my sister, we were hanging out and we were just kind of bored. And she just came up with this idea. Why don't you go to the corner store and take a sweetie? And I was six, and I was like, I like sweeties. And the corner store is right there at the corner. And so I just walked into the store. I took the candy, and I walked out. And I was kind of proud of myself, and I was strutting my, my stuff. And all of a sudden, I look up to my house because it was right down the street, and I see my parents standing at the front door. And right then I thought, I didn't think it was wrong until my parents were there. And then I kind of thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't just walk into a store, take a piece of candy, and steal it. And then I see my parents, and then behind them I see my sister. <laughs> she totally ratted me out. But in that moment, I just had that, like, first sense of shame. I went from, like, being so proud, I had this candy, I was going to savor it, to, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm busted. I don't know if you remember that feeling of like that feeling of being busted, like you got caught for doing something. My parents did the right thing. They actually told me, you need to go to the store. You need to tell him what you've done and you need to give the piece of candy back. You need to make it right. And I, you know, I was just overwhelmed by that, that walk of shame and that feeling of, it was just one piece of candy. I tried to justify my action. There's many pieces of candy and I'm just a kid looking for a piece of candy in this hard world, you know, and all this, is going, all this is going on in my head. And long story short, I get there and I tell him, and he has the serious look on his face. And at that point, I'm like, am I going to kid jail? Like, I didn't know. I didn't know what the cost was going to be, but I had to come right. I had to confess this. And, and he just looked at me and he said, Alex, he knew our name because everyone in that neighborhood knew each other. He was the manager of the store. And he just said, Alex, you can have that, sweetie. And I just remember that. It, was the great, it went from like the worst day to the greatest day of my life. And I put that piece of candy in my mouth and I just made sure my sister saw it. <laughs> what do you have? And I was just so proud of myself. But I'll never forget that feeling when I was busted. That feeling of there was a standard and I had blown past it. The reason I share that is it's, it's somewhat funny, but we all have that that experience of like knowing wrong, blowing past it, and trying to deal with the feelings and emotions that come with that. The idea of compromise is actually something, it's like gravity. It just pulls us down, and it's something that we actually have to deal with. We have to know what do we do when we mess up? What do we do when we blow it? Because if we don't have a strategy, the feelings of guilt the feelings of shame, and the feelings of regret, they overwhelm us. And so what I want to talk about today is, is how do we get to that point where we can overcome those strong emotions that, that pull on us? Before I do that, I want to talk about some signs that you may be drifting towards compromise. These are kind of some warning signs that 
this may be evident in, in your own life. And these are common to all of us. The first one is, there's a growing gap between your public and private life. This is the person that you appear to everyone else on the outside is different than, than who you really are, maybe inside your home. And that's easy to happen. It's just my public persona and my private persona. There's some compromise that could be in that if, if they're different. Number two, uh, you hide things from others. So this is the idea, like even in your, your home with the people closest to you, there's just things that you, you have secrets you don't want anyone to know about. And we can have that too. Number three, uh, you fail to follow through. The, the idea here is just you're, you're compromising in what's right and people are counting on you and you, you just don't do it. And that's, that's an element of compromise. Number four, and I do this all the time, you justify your actions and decisions. So you blow past what's right, you do what's wrong, but as you're dealing with the regret and shame, you kind of have a tennis match with yourself. I don't know if you guys ever play tennis, but you hit it on this side of the court and you are terrible. How could you do that? And then you go on this other side and you're like, well, I'm tired. No one understands me and I got a lot going on. Yeah, but you, you should know better. You're doing that same thing. Yeah, but it's been a long day. And you, you ever do this in your mind? I don't know if you run and hit it like this, but that's what happens. There's a tennis match of emotions and we go from regret and shame in one side of the court of our mind to justification. No one understands me on the other side. And then the fifth thing is life becomes all about us. When you compromise and you get full of that regret and that shame, you actually become all you can think about. It overwhelms you to the point where it, it's, it's paralyzed you. And when you're paralyzed, you're not seeing anything else. You're not seeing anyone else. All you see is, is you and the trouble that you're in. And so I wanna kind of build the case biblically for why this is. One, God has made us in his image. That's what the Bible says. So all of us, whether we regard God or not, because we're made in his image, we have a standard. We actually have a moral fabric to life that bears God's thumbprint. He's moral. He's right. Because we're made in his image, we have this morality to us that's different than any other created being. This is in our hearts. It's written in there. We have that just being born into this world. On the other hand, we also have compromise in us because of sin. And there's a battle that wages with what's right and the way God has made us to what we want and our desires. And when you decide to follow Christ, that battle does not stop. In fact, you battle yourself for the rest of your life. And so I wanna talk about how you, you win that battle. But before I do that, I wanna describe through the scripture, the feelings that are common to all of us. And here it is. No matter how hard you try, you can't escape you. The reason we keep running into compromise is because we are wherever we are. And we do what we keep doing because of the things that are inside of us. Check out this scripture in Romans 7. It says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Let me, let me just stop there. Don't, don't read ahead. I know it's easy. you just want to keep reading, but isn't that one of the most common experiences you've had in your life? No matter what your view of God is, whether you have a relationship with him or not, I think this is common. There's certain things we want to do and we don't do them. And the very things we should do, we don't. Did I just say the same thing? There's certain things I wanna say and I don't say them right. 
even in that. But it's just this, this experience of my intentions, my goals, my hopes are to do this thing, and it's going to turn out great. And then I just fumble over myself. I keep getting in the way, and I keep hitting that wall of myself. And then it goes on. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This is like common in family life. You could have a great moment with your spouse where you're encouraging them and you, you share with them how much you appreciate them and respect them. And then like three minutes later, like, why did you do that? I do love you. And you just snap. And you could do that with your kids. You could do it with your coworkers. Whenever we have good intentions, right after it, we can do something bad that can cut people down. We could do something that's wrong and be filled with guilt. And the writer of this, his name is Paul. He, he was a kind of a church planter missionary in the first century. And he's experiencing this in his own life as he gave his life to follow Christ. He gave up everything to do that. But even in that, in his commitment, what he's doing is he's showing us this experience is common to all of us. Our intentions may be good, but we still get in the way. And then he goes on in verse 22. Put that there up there. Verse 22 says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So you get this description of this battle, right? This, this battle, this war, this inner being, and it's, it's waging against us. For I delight in the law of God, so I want to do what's right. I even follow God, and I want to follow what the Bible says, but again, I keep fumbling, and I keep hitting my own desires, my own flesh. And those are the two realms that you find in Scripture. There's the flesh and the spirit. And when you decide to follow God and he becomes your boss and your leader, you now have a new spirit that lives in you. God himself, that's the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that word, the Holy Spirit? What is that? The Holy Spirit is God living in you, and he guides you. And that's what happens when you decide to follow him. What Paul's describing is even when you decide to follow God and you give your life to him, your life is now not just a simple task of waking up and it's just, God, I'm yours. It's gonna be a great day. And you could say that, but then you get in traffic in the freeway. Say, God, are you there? You know, and that's how life is. We have great intentions. And even as we follow God, there's this war that's going on. And Paul's describing this is the war of the flesh. And if you give your life to the flesh, that's our sin nature. It's our selfish ambition. It's our stubborn determination to get what we want. If we give our life to that, we keep going from one compromise to the other. And so it's not an anomaly, it's a constant threat. Now he describes um, in verse 23 or 24, go to the next slide up there, and he describes this process as wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so he's speaking this death to this, this body that keeps leading me to what's wrong. And I've experienced this so many times. I, I just keep getting in the way and I keep doing the things that I say I'm not gonna do anymore. And I keep saying the things that I say I shouldn't say. And I keep having the same attitude that I, that I wish I didn't have. And I just keep that guilt, that shame. And I keep not able to get past myself. And so he describes it as this wretchedness 
And it's translated here, suffering, miserable, distressed. I think this, as, as dark as it sounds, is actually uh, somewhat meant to give us hope. Because here is Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That was a man who was just changing the world upside down for God. And he's describing his battle of trying to do what's right. And he describes himself as this wretched man who can save me from this, this body of death, from this experience of just keep messing up and keep messing up, from compromise to compromise. And then he asks the question, it's like, who's, who will deliver me from myself? And I think this is the question we all need to ask. So if we're all on the same page that we do mess up and we keep doing the things that we shouldn't over and over again, and we do experience guilt, we do experience shame, I think we can get to the same point where we we know that that's normal. That's a normal part of our lives. This is the question we need to get to. Who, Who will deliver me? How can I find hope if this is true and if this is real? How can I escape this shell of life? And that's what God wants us to get to this point. He wants us to get to the point where we, we're disgusted at not being able to make progress. He wants us to get to the point where we're overwhelmed by trying to do it on our own because only when we're overwhelmed by trying to do it on our own, by trying to fix ourselves, will we realize that we need power and strength outside of us. So if this is you, God is allowing things to happen in your life. He's allowing the pressure to build. He's allowing some of those things you experience. So you get to the point where you say, okay, God, I, I, need, I need you. Who will deliver me? And God is ready to answer. I, I am. And that's how Paul answers his question. This is the good news. In Romans 7, 25, he says this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will deliver me? God. And he delivers me through Jesus. Thanks be to him. I can't fix myself. Thanks be to him. He can fix me. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he describes the battle. Thanks be to God, I have hope. Thanks be to God, I can escape this feeling of guilt and shame, but the battle rages on. So the good news would ultimately be like, thanks be to God, you follow him and your life never has problems, but you know that's not the case. His life continues to have problems. We have problems. We still make bad choices. So I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how do we actually find the freedom that Paul is saying, thanks be to God, he will deliver. So if we're delivered, we're free. Sin shackles us up. Compromise, regret, shame. They just tie us. We're, We're in handcuffs. Deliverance is found in freedom. And with the freedom, we can live a new life. And so I want to talk about how how that, that comes. The first part comes is, is you actually cooperate with God. Instead of going your own way, you decide to cooperate with him. And freedom comes in that cooperation first as I, as I admit I need God's help. So you remember I talked about that pressure God allows us to feel? Maybe even that, that overwhelming sense of we can't fix ourselves. If that's you, God is getting your attention. Because if you think you can fix yourself, you don't need God. So God wants you to just settle there for a while, like, I need need help. And to cooperate with God, you you admit that. And there's two ways that 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 happens, but it begins with a promise in Romans 8.1. This is one of my favorite verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
this is a promise. Because remember, Paul said, who can save me? Who can deliver this wretched man? Who can deliver me from the misery of keep messing up and messing up and messing up? Well, through God, through his son, Jesus. And as you decide to follow him and you give your life to him, you now move from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ, and you're no longer condemned. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I think the main thing that blinds us, blindsides us by that compromise is not just the wrong that we've done, but again, the guilt, the shame, and regret that comes with it. And the, the way that we move past there is realizing that we are not condemned people. So when you've compromised and you've blown it, the first step is you admit it. That's how you move towards freedom. You admit like you messed up. Again, it happens in your thoughts, it happens in your words, and it happens in your actions. So if you've done something that was wrong, the first step you do to kind of cooperate with God is you, you agree with him. That God, that was wrong. What I said was wrong. Will you forgive me for that? And a mentor of mine has said, you, you have short accounts with God. You don't let your account go long. So it's this idea of when you blow it, as soon as that comes to mind, you, you admit it right then. God, what I said was wrong. What I thought was wrong. What I did was wrong. Will, will you forgive me? And you begin to, to, to move past those, that shame. Because the first step is you, you have to admit it. And then if you've done something to somebody else, you, you admit it to them and you, you clear that up with them. You make it right. So this admitting is when I mess up, I'm cleaning it up. And as I clean up, God begins to clean me. And he's forgiven me. So I admit that I'm compromised. And then the second part of this admitting I need help, actually go back to that, that verse again. The second part is, is I refuse to condemn myself. So I think because of our moral standards that God made us with, we're, we're actually pretty good at beating ourselves up. And we all have strategies for that. So the strategies are when you've blown it, uh, you begin to have thoughts in your head like you, you blew it again. You ever had that thought with yourself? Like you, you did that again. You said that again. You burst in anger again. You lied again. You hid again. You cheated again. And we have this, this dialogue with ourselves. You're never gonna change. You're never going to change. You're never going to change. You can't grow. You can't grow. You can't move past yourself. You can't move. Kind of freaky, huh, when you say it out loud? That's what goes on in our head all the time. People don't know it, but we do. It's the inner turmoil of our flesh, of our sin, and the shame that comes with it. And so you have to admit that you've compromised, but then you have to fight those feelings of condemnation. And this is why following Christ is the only promise you can cling to because it's only with him that you're not condemned. Because you, you can't earn your freedom any other way except through Jesus Christ. He paid the price of our sin. He died for our sin. His blood shed for our sin. The penalty has been paid in full. And he's just waiting for us to say, God, I've blown it. But thank, thanks be to God through Jesus, who's forgiven me, and I have no condemnation. So admit you've compromised, and then refuse to condemn yourself. And the second step is once you've admitted, then 
you can move to cooperate with the Spirit. The idea is, is to keep in step. As you keep in step, you're, you're following the lead of God. He's your leader. He's your boss. And I'm going to live his way. And I'm going to do things his way. Is it going to be right all the time? No, because the battle is on, and it's always going to be on. But again, when I mess up, I admit it, I confess it, and then I don't condemn myself. And then I admit it, and I confess it, and I don't condemn myself five minutes later. And five minutes after that, I admit it. I get, you get the point. It just, it's on and on and on, and this is how you cooperate. And Romans 8.2 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, Without Christ's forgiveness, we are shackled still to our sin and to our guilt and to our regret and to our shame. But as we turn to God and through Jesus, we decide to follow him, we now have been set free. So those shackles that are on us, the things that tie us and bind us up, it's like they're broken. They're not broken by anything that man does anything that we do, they're broken by God, the living God. And he wants to remove that guilt and that shame. And that's that Holy Spirit, the law of the spirit of life. And so when you decide to follow God, he comes in you and he wants to lead you. And his spirit is is described as a counselor. It leads us and counsels us on the right and the wrong We all want counsel. We all want to know how to make the right choices and how to pick up the pieces of the messes that we've made. And God says, here here I am. I'm ready to to dwell in you, to live in you, to guide you, to counsel you as you cooperate with me. And again, this is a battle, but there's things that we can do to cooperate with the Spirit. This is where growth comes. This is where we turn to God and we're like, I can't earn favor with God. I, I can't improve myself. It's not just through my own grit, but it's as I daily choose to keep getting back in step and admitting my wrong, confessing it, and making it right. And this leads to the third point. There's the set and reset that continues to happen, and it needs to happen. So the first is I, just, I admit I need God's help, and I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get into condemnation. There's a lot of freedom there. The way that happens is I live life by the Spirit. And life by the Spirit comes when you decide to follow Christ, and then you live by the resources that that he gives. And so I want to describe part of this set and reset uh, by the resources, but let me read this passage from Romans 8 first. It says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the, the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The idea of, of setting your mind, it's, it's, it's more than just our, like a hope. It's more than just a goal or an inclination. When you set your mind, there is this thoughtful planning of what your new life is going to look like. And that thoughtful planning is not just my own power and my own resources, but the thoughtful planning of how am I going to ensure that I continue to cooperate with God? And here's the good news. We don't have to figure that out ourselves. Through God's word, he shows us these are the ways that you can set your mind 
on the things of the Spirit. So the four general categories, and this isn't on the, the PowerPoint, but the four general categories of how you, you cooperate with the Spirit and you set your mind is, is through prayer. When you pray to God, you're cooperating with God because that's part of the admitting. If you're not willing to pray, you're not admitting God is even there. So that's that. That's it. God, I'm praying this. So in faith, I'm trusting that you're hearing what I'm saying. And when you pray, you're also just admitting to God, God, I, I need help. That's the reason I'm praying right now. I'm talking to somebody I can't see, hoping you're there. That's what faith is. So you pray and you, you ask God for help. And then another major category is you read the scripture. The scripture is your guide. That's a big way that God leads you. Is His Holy Spirit is in you, but he wants to pull the truth to, to guide you. It's like these are the directional signs. So you keep in step with the Spirit, and you read the Word of God, and it's like, okay, U-turn here. Okay, I need a U-turn. Okay, I need to switch roads, and you're, you're navigating through the truth. And God uses that truth to move you forward and to give you progress. Another thing is, is fellowship. And fellowship is a word that means there's this group of people that come together. Those are called Christians, and they gather in what's called church, and we're all here today, and this is part of a fellowship. But it's more than just hearing a guy speak. It's more than just even singing songs. Part of the fellowship is we love each other. We serve each other. And when we love and when we serve each other, God's spirit leads us to, to things that, that are right. It, it's this refreshment that comes like, this is, this is what relationships are supposed to be like. This is what the church is supposed to be like. And God uses that to kind of wash over us. And then the, the, the last is, is ministry. And that's we grow and we cooperate with the Spirit. We're, we're willing to tell people about the good news of Jesus. When we love and extend ourselves for others and we do ministry and we step out in faith to try to meet a need that God's given us to meet, we, we grow and we cooperate in the Spirit. So through prayer and through the Word and through fellowship and through ministry, these are the, the four things. Now, I want to give you just some practical ways that this can happen. I'm, I'm all for practical because I need help every day on how to actually do this thing called following Jesus. Because every day I wake up, and I don't feel like it a lot. Most days I kind of just want to do my own thing. But these things have, have consistently helped me. So here, here's the first thing. Here's some practical ways to set and reset. You can go to that next slide. Practical ways, solitude and silence. Now, this, this just cracks me up because... You have to force yourself to get solitude and silence in today's world. Right? Like, how do you do? You got to find a cave. And even then, it will have Wi-Fi. But solitude and silence is removing yourself from the hustle and bustle of life and actually giving your space to, to just think and, and, and ponder and to get away from distractions. Part of the reason, if you follow Christ, part of the reason it's hard to grow is we're easily distracted. And you may have perfect intent to pray, but as soon as you're praying, your to-do list of that week is just, boom, you got, it's firing all your stuff you got to do. And as soon as you start to read the word and get into the Bible, all of a sudden you remember all the, that, that one thing you've forgotten. If you don't do it right now, you're going to forget again. And all this happens and it's, we're just distracted people. And everything's getting our attention, social media, emails text. And these things aren't bad. This is part of normal life. But God wants to get our attention. God wants to 
again, guide us through his spirit. And there's just times where we need to reset by just pulling away a little bit. Take 15 minutes and go on a walk and turn your phone off and just pray. And if you're not a praying person, just say, God, I'm, I just need a little silence. And I'm, I just ask that you help me today. And you, you just prayed and God will begin to help you. Uh, when I was uh, in college, I worked at a, a summer camp. And summer camps, you know, you're, you're, you're helping people and you're with a bunch of college students and you can just get to the point where you, you get really cranky because you're tired and everything else. You know how it is. And our, like, mentor, he'd have a phrase. And his phrase was, you need to go find a rock. And he's basically saying, like, go into the forest, away from all of us, and spend some time with Jesus. Go find a rock. And so if you said that, you're like, you, don't, you, you can't be offended. He's just, he's helping you out. And I think this is what we need to do ourselves. We need to go find a rock. Don't go tell your spouse that. This week, and at least if you do, don't tell them I said that, unless they're here, and then they'll know. Uh, the second is, and this, I'm starting with the ones that are not as normal, or you may not have ever done before, because I think these would be helpful. The second is fasting. If you're, if you're not a Christian, and you're not religious, this is probably the thing that you think, like, so if I follow God, can I, like, never eat again, and I just have to, oh, right? Like, is it like a monastery-type life? No, it's not, but... Part of, of, of fasting is that it, it reveals things that, that controls us. This is a quote by Richard Foster. This is what it says. More than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting helps us keep our balance in life, how easily we begin to allow non-essentials to take precedence in our lives, how quickly we crave things we do not need until we are enslaved by them. I think that's pretty true. You know, there's a lot of times I eat and I'm not even hungry. Why? Because I got to eat. Why do you got to eat? Stop asking me questions. That's what I do. But we do a lot of things. You know, you, you check your phone without needing to, right? It's been one minute. You've got to check your phone. You think it buzzed and it didn't. You got to check your phone. So it's, it's, there's just little things that you can do just to fast. So fasting from fruit is just you take space of a, of a meal, and instead of eating, you, you're like, well, I don't, I don't need to eat. In fact, I'm, I may be even hungry, but I could spend that time praying and asking God to help me, help me focus. And, you know, it could be a half day. It could be one meal. Um, it could be however long you, you think you need to do it. But this is a, it's, it removes us from all these things, again, that kind of are just normal that we, we don't think about. And then some other practical things, reading the scripture. Um, when you read the scripture, the truth penetrates your heart. As the truth penetrates, it helps you get back what, what's right, what's pleasing. Another thing is memorizing the scripture. This can help with temptation. If you're tempted to do something you shouldn't do, the truth of God's word, if you have it on your mind, you can tell, tell yourself. Scripture memorization also helps me with shame. You feel that shame, you feel that, gate, that guilt because you've done something wrong. You have Romans 8, 1 memorized. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why am I condemned? I'm not. So why do I feel like this? That's right, I need the truth. I need the truth of God's word. And then prayer and worship. 
You know, when we sing songs, even at church, that's a part of cooperating with the Spirit. It, it reminds us that we exist in the world where, where God is. And as we sing songs to God, it's like to orient ourselves. There's something greater and bigger and mightier than us. How do I know? I'm singing songs to him. And we don't normally do that. We definitely don't do that in a group of people outside of a concert. But in church, when you sing those songs, there's this part of it. It's cooperating with God's spirit. I'm singing these songs because it's true of who you are. And I want to align myself with you. So I want to encourage you today. If you're like me, you've spent a lot of your life with guilt and shame and regret. And again, that gravity, it just, it pulls us down. But God does not want you to live that way. He sent his son so you didn't have to live that way. So if you're not a follower of Christ, you can decide to follow him and you can experience freedom that you've never had before. If you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to live as somebody condemned. He wants you to keep in step with the spirit and he wants you to grow. And that's my hope for for all of us that instead of that guilt and that shame and that regret, we become people that God uses to reach the people full of regret and shame. I want to ask you to take out your connection card that Joel had you fill out. And I'm going to invite the band to to come up. And I want to wrap up just encouraging you to to take some, some next steps. So go ahead and pull that out. And if you've not filled out the connection card yet, go ahead and, and do that. And then on the, the back side of the connection card, there are some next steps uh, that you'll see in a, in a box there. And I just want to just walk through them briefly and just encourage you to, to take a next step. Again, the goal of the scriptures and the goal of walking with God is a transformed life. He doesn't just want us to have ideas. He wants us to live differently. And so the next steps are a way that we can take a step to try to live differently with with God's help. So the first next step is uh, commit my life to follow Christ for the first time. So if you've never decided to follow Jesus and he's not your leader, he wants to lead you and he wants to save you. And his job's already been done. He's already sent his son. He's already made you. He's taken the initiative and he's taken the first step. So he wants us to respond. And so if you've never decided to, to follow Christ and become a Christian, he wants to lift the condemnation that you experience. And he wants to take it from you. But you have to be willing to follow him. And so there's a, a part on the connection card that looks like this. Contact me about following Jesus. If this is your next step, if you're interested in learning what it means to follow Jesus, mark that and we'll follow up with you. Uh, the second next step is admit a wrong and refuse condemnation. So as I'm talking, and as you, you know, we read the word of God together, there's certain times that God shows us something that we, we've done. And it's kind of nagging at us. So if there's something that God has shown you, a wrong that you've done, decide today that you're going to admit that to him. You're going to just confess it. I, I've blown it. And will, will you forgive me? And then refuse to condemn yourself. Now, the third next step is there's a five-day Bible plan. So you, you may want to read the Bible more and you're just not sure what to do or how to do it. Um, if you ch- write five-day plan, 
on your connection card, I'll send you a plan this week that you can read along. And I'm going to do it with you. So we can do it together. I'm not going to be like, you know, texting you like, are you doing it right now? But I'll do it and you do this. And, and it's through the, the Bible app. You start this plan and it's by Tim Keller. He's a great thinker, but he also has a way of helping, a, you know, apply the word of God. So if you write that uh, on there, you'll, you'll get this plan that you can work through this week. And it's going through Romans 8, the passage that we went through today. And so you may want to write that. And then the last next step, bear with me. I know I'd have four. This is a lot. But the last next step is to set and reset by. And you just, is there something you need to do that you've not done in a long time or you've never done? So is it just your, your prayer life? You, so you may just want to write, I need to set and reset by praying, by reading the Bible, by maybe some solitude, just getting away from the noise. Maybe you need to fast something or for a period of time. So whatever that is, write, write that in there. And then what I'm going to do, and what I do with these next steps is I, I want to pray for you this week as you take those next steps. So I want to give you time to do that. And uh, Garrett's going to play instrumentally, and then we're going to receive our offering. So go ahead and finish uh, filling that out as, as he plays, and then I'll, I'll close us in prayer. Father, thank you for creating us and then redeeming us, that even though we've rebelled against you and we compromise all the time, you have sent your son, Jesus, to pay the price of our sin. And because of him, we don't have to be condemned. And we don't need to be filled with guilt or shame or regret. We can experience freedom. So God, that freedom is precious. We cannot earn it. We cannot fight for it. We cannot buy it. The freedom that you've given us is a gift. So God, we thank you for your love and your willingness to do for us what we could not do ourselves. So we praise your holy name in the name of Jesus. Amen.